Direct from the Broski Nation headquarters in Los Angeles, California, this is the Broski Report with your host, Brittany Broski. Bienvenidos al reportaje Broski. Okay, guys, welcome to the Broski Report. We are so fucking back. People, people say, oh, we're not back. We're never going to be back. Okay, no, look at her. She's never going to, we're back. Welcome back. Okay, and guess what? My merch dropped. If you missed last week's episode, if you for some reason skip over the first 30 seconds, I have Broski Report merch. Get it. It's hot off the press. Okay, you guys sold out the first wave. Now we're on pre-order. We're on back order. Get it, okay? Get it before we close it forever and ever. Amen. We've got a t-shirt. We've got a crew neck. We've got a hoodie. And it's gorgeous, okay? I'm not wearing it right now because I wore it in the last one. And I did spill food on it. Spilled some refried beans on it, okay? Whatever, guys. All right, welcome back, guys. Go get your uniform. I expect to see everyone in their uniform. It is mandatory. And eventually, I don't know, when I drop moo-moos. Gulp. When I drop moo-moos. I expect to see everyone, whenever I do the next live show or whenever we do any other type of show, my burlesque shows that I'm going to do, me at my burlesque shows with my nipple tassels and my moo moo. It's going to be RuPaul's Drag Race main stage reveal, reveal, unzip my moo moo, bam, size G tits, size G tits in a tan bra. In a tan, shapeless bra. <laughs> and, and a boom, ace bandage. <laughs> it's me. A guy who takes his time. I go for any time. It's a fast moving guy who likes him slow. And I'm undoing my moo-moo. It's me and burlesque. It's Christina Aguilera. Got no room for fancy driving. Won't I see a guy? Slowly on again. Riving in low. Bam! Okay? Nipple tassels glued on, hot glued on to my nude tan bra that has no underwire. It's flat against my chest and I have size G tits. That's my burlesque show. <laughs> you know how they have clubs for like BBWs? Big, beautiful women. Okay? I'm going to do a show for... <laughs> it's just me. Okay? It's just me and we only do the big tan bra bit. And then I come out and I do uh, a full Christina Aguilera cosplay. This is after I get my BBL. This is after I get my, uh, uh, what's that called? Bariatric surgery. <laughs> Bariatric, my Barry Manilow surgery. Anyway, yeah, we'll be selling tickets to that. Anyway, back to, back to what I was saying. Moomoo's. Moomoo's is the next drop, okay? So keep that on your radar. We are going to have a couple color options and they're so cute, bitch. They're so, you know, I don't, I don't fuck around with my moo-moos, with my nightwear, <laughs> with my sexy womanly nightwear. There's nothing sexy about it. Okay. Yeah. The moo-moos are functional. They're useful. They've got deep pockets. They're thick and absorbent where they don't make you sweat, but they absorb the sweat. They're short sleeve. They're long enough where you can bend over, <laughs> bend over like the, who's the, <laughs> the sunscreen baby. With her cheeks coming out. By the way, what the fuck? Hey, what the? Put your baby ass away. I don't want to see your baby ass. That's gross, dude. Then being like, damn, people are going to love this. How cute. Little baby ass. Ooh. I'm trying to put out sunscreen on my face, bro. I don't want to think about it. baby ass. Gross. But that's literally me and my moo moo. And I'm not wearing anything under it except my big tan bra. <laughs> That's actually a bit me and Be Bestie Tato do, what me and Taylor do with each other. Every time we go to a concert, we're like, I'm going to throw my big tan bra on stage. <laughs> we kept doing that at the Hosier concert. He's in the middle of singing, like, screaming the name of a foreigner's god. Like a really, like, intense, meaningful song. And my, what? I'm topless. I'm swinging. Whoa! My big tan bra on stage. Whoo, whoo, whoo. Smacks him in the face. Okay? He gets pink eye. <laughs> he gets pink eye. Because my sweaty big tan bra hit him in the face. What am I talking about? Anyway. 
So my burlesque show will be opening up. Oh, my moomoos. The moomoos are coming out later this year. And uh, yeah, get excited for them, guys. I'm, I'm really excited. I We have been working on this for a really long time because I'm, like I said, I'm not fucking around. Okay? Moomoos, I take the moomoo game and the moomoo business <laughs> incredibly seriously. And in the South, sometimes they're referred to as house coats. Okay, this is a house coat. It's a moomoo. They're kind of interchangeable. A, a house coat, I think, has a zipper. I think that's what distinguishes it from just like a moomoo is just kind of a, a, a dress, like a night dress. Um, at least I'm talking about in the context of Southern America. Uh, and a house coat has a zipper. This has a zipper all the way down for if you got to get out of that bitch really quickly. Okay, you don't have to. Because I love, I love a moomoo because, oh my God, I'm like shaking. I'm tweaking right now. I had like four cups of coffee. Shut up! I like a moomoo because you can unzip it all the way when you're doing your glam. Like it'll catch all the fallout from the powder or whatever. Like when you're brushing your hair and like, <laughs> I don't know if this only happens to me. I brush my hair and it all breaks off. Hey, that's fun. Hey, that's really fun. Happens to me. I'll brush and I'm like, oh, the fucking hair and I'll whatever. And then to put my clothes on, you just unzip it. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. That's why I like a moomoo because it's easy to get in and out of. Now, is it sexy? No. There's nothing sexy about a moomoo, but you could make it sexy, okay? Whoa, what do I have underneath this? Baby ass. <laughs> Stupid. All right, what are we talking about today, guys? Oh, if you've bought the merch, thank you. I appreciate you. Um, I live to, to eat another day, okay? I can afford my groceries for another day. I really appreciate that. Yeah, the merch was really fun to make. We worked with Brit Art on it, who's fantastic. She does um, pinup art, who I, I just am obsessed with it. And... Uh, Really stoked to work with her on it. So go pick it up if you haven't. Go go rep the pod, okay? Why not, guys? Seriously, seriously. Okay, I am on a bunch of new, to switch into the health. Here's the health update. I am officially um, a PCOS girl, like we've been talking about. Remy Ashton reached out to me, saved my life, recommended me a doctor. I'm on a bunch of new, did I already talk about this? I'm on a bunch of new medicine and I can't eat avocados or bananas or coconut water because it spikes my testosterone. Yeah, I talked about this last time about how about how I have leg hair like a like a grown man. Yeah, we talked about this. I don't I won't put you guys through it again. Okay, what I really want to talk about is we're gonna move into book talk really quick. If you don't give a shit, I don't care, you will listen and you will like it. Because I don't make the rules. I know oh, I don't care about book talk. <laughs> incredibly loud, incorrect buzzer. You're going to listen, okay? Fourth Wing talked about that last week as well. Fourth Wing is the Dragon Academy book. Oh my God, I ordered a sweatshirt that I, I should be wearing right now. It's the Dragon Academy book. And since finishing both Fourth Wing and Iron Flame, which is the sequel, which everyone was like waiting on for a really long time, came out in I think November, like late November. And Rebecca Yaros is the author. And the more that I've read and like consumed media about this book series, the more complaints I have. I fucking loved Fourth Wing. It is, me and uh, Brooke Abrick were texting about this the other day, Lady Efron. We're texting about how, like it is gonna be so hard to read a non-fantasy novel moving forward because I love fantasy. I love getting lost in a fantasy world and like the world building and falling in love with the characters. And I can specifically only read enemies to lovers fantasy books. Like I literally, I find it very hard to focus on anything else. And so Fourth Wing really scratched that itch for me. And I waited to read it until the sequel came out, whatever, read it. Iron Flame, let's talk about it. What I loved about Fourth Wing is that it was it was standalone. It kind of left you on a hook, you know, whatever. The characters, you fall in love with them really easy. Your lead girl is is a badass. She is uh she doesn't believe in her own potential until, you know, the mirror is brought up to her face. And then she does. You know, she's a badass and her secret weapon is not strength, it is not power, it is intelligence. And I love a storyline like that. Similar one in uh, in Throne of Glass with Aelin as the, the lead girl. She's very, very cunning, very smart, very witty. She's always thinking six steps ahead of everyone else. And that's why she wins. She is strong and she is a great fighter. But like first and foremost, she is a great, she plays the game. 
And I love that about Violet, about Violet Swarengale and Fourth Wing. She is smart and she outsmarts her way through life. What incredible characters fucking wasted in Iron Flame. Wasted! Violet and Zayden have the same exact argument about six different times in Iron Flame. And it's it's a classic, which I fucking hate, miscommunication trope. They're not hearing each other when they talk. And they keep, re and there's also, they're separated, okay? For a lot of the book, they're not together. And so when they are together, you want them to, you want them to get it on. Lay pipe, okay? You're together, oh no, lay pipe. <laughs> I'm not asking for much, Zayden, lay pipe. Why is that so fucking hard? But for like, there literally would be times they'd be together. They'd have 24 hours together. Don't you want to make the most fit? No, bitch. They would spend it fighting. And then like, he would be gone before she wakes up. Oh my God. I'm livid. Oh my God. I'm actually livid right now. So, oh my God. I'm actually fucking raging. I'm fuming, babe. I've literally read 400 fucking pages. I'm fuming. You're sleeping in the same bed and you're not fucking. I don't want to read it. And the magic doesn't really make sense. It's like, I wonder if she's one of those authors that, and I guess I'm, and I'm not saying that I'm an author, but like when I have written my fan fiction or when I have written lore, okay? When I've written little short stories or whatever, one of the, I think, literary techniques as a writer is, this is an air of mystery and it can stay like that because you haven't finished flushing out the, uh, the lore, you know, like, okay, this is a mystery and you, it's all to be revealed later. But even you as the author, you haven't written it yet. So it's like, I feel that way reading her writing in Iron Flame. I'm like, I don't think this is really going anywhere because she hasn't developed the world yet. And it's such an interesting, you know, like we've got the map and here's this province and whatever. And here's the wards where the wards end and the fucking magic and the whatever. I'm there, right? You've, you've sucked me in. I'm listening. I get it. But then like certain things are, and then certain characters will, will break rules. And it's like, oh, well, you can do that because what, dude? It got a little, it wasn't hard to follow. It was just like, okay, but I thought you said it was more that. Like I have a complaint because you built the world this way and now in this in the second book it's this way and it's like it's hard to to reconcile anyway there's this like epic fight that happens at the end of the book and i do i enjoy writing that's like oh my god this is the end this is where they die oh no they're alive there's a crazy twist at the end of <laughs> of the second book that is not necessary i was pissed i finished them oh my god and you it's literally on like the fourth to last page so you learn it and you're like what the fuck and then it ends and not in a good way not in like a holy shit i never saw that coming i wouldn't say it was predictable but it was like it pissed me off it pissed me off because it didn't have to happen there are so many other things that could have happened you've built these incredible characters like incredible characters with an incredible dynamic, this incredible world, and that's what you chose? I'm just like, where the fuck is it gonna go from here? So I'm just mad. Like I finished it and I'm mad. And I've been reading a bunch of fan theories and like book talk reactions and people hated this book. I didn't hate it. I felt like it kind of dragged, but it's characters in a world that I love. So I was like happy to read it. Like it was definitely, it was entertaining and it was fun, but I was like, oh my God, I've read the same scene 10 times. Like they keep, it's the same fucking shit. And there are certain characters where I'm like, oh, I hate you. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. I don't care about you. And then they got redemption arcs that I'm like, you didn't deserve that. I don't know. Okay, so that's my Iron Flame review. Still thinking about Sam Hartman. Okay, Sam Hartman is Zayden in my mind. I'm still thinking about Zayden, even with his stupid fucking plot twist at the end. I kind of have chosen to ignore that. I'm living in like the last quarter of Fourth Wing, first quarter of Iron Flame sort of world. That's where I've, I've landed. I went on Etsy before I fucking finished Iron Flame. I went on Etsy and got a Basgiath War College sweatshirt. Oh my God. Also, I saw a bunch of shit that... Rebecca Yaros pulled from Gallic language, like the Gallic language, but used it incorrectly. And so people are mad at her about that. Totally understandable. And that's also just like, damn, was there not enough 
like I'm inclined to give an author the benefit of the doubt of it will all resolve itself or if it hasn't yet like trust the author I just don't know like I don't know what was on purpose and what was an accident or if it was just like messy writing if the editor didn't really catch some stuff I'm just disappointed like I really really was looking forward to Iron Flame this episode is sponsored by Tinder. It's time to set your intentions and desired vibe for 2024, team. So if you're ready to level up your dating goals this year and attract the right energy, Tinder is the perfect place to start. Let's ditch the superficiality and dive into deep convos that spark something real. It starts with a swipe. So whether you're looking for romantic connections, planning epic escapades, or just expanding your circle, you wanna know where to start? Tinder. Tinder's got cool new features like prompts and quizzes, making it a breeze to give details about yourself and learn more about your potential matches. Tinder makes it easy to be your authentic self right from the get-go. You've got a ton of opportunities to help find exactly what you're looking for on Tinder. This year, we're going to shake things up on Tinder because let's face it, other apps are hard. Tinder is easy. Don't wait around. Go grab your phone and download Tinder right now. Explore all the possibilities for yourself on Tinder. It starts with a swipe. Download Tinder today. This episode is sponsored by Stitch Fix. Are you frustrated with not having the right wardrobe to match your evolving lifestyle? Whether you're going on vacation, looking for maternity wear, or simply just bored of your old choices, the stylists at Stitch Fix make sure you always have something to wear. Stitch Fix is the best way to shop new styles and brands. Think of them as your style partner. Your stylist will learn about your tastes and collaborate with you on looks you'll love without breaking the bank. You simply just share your preferences, sizes, and budget, and Stitch Fix sends you five items in a fix right to your door. With your choices in mind and sizes from extra small to 3XL, they'll find your perfect fit. Try everything on at home, keep what you like, and send back the rest. And shipping and returns are always free. They have over a thousand brands and styles, so no matter what season of life you're in, Stitch Fix has you covered. Simply order a refresh as needed or set it and forget it. With regular fixes, you're in control. Over time, Stitch Fix and their seasoned style experts will match you with greater precision to perfect pieces for you based on your likes and dislikes. It's so easy. I've been into the flowy skirt and cowboy boot style combo recently, and Stitch Fix has really helped me perfect that. So thanks, Stitch Fix. They just get me, and they'll get you too. Try today at stitchfix.com broski, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash broski, stitchfix.com slash broski. Oh, I wanted to go through my Goodreads because now I have a fourth wing hangover. And a bunch of people, you know, I went on TikTok and they're like, I was like, how to cure the fourth wing hangover. People are like, read Akatar. Bitch, I started there. I started there. There's no going back. Oh, me and Brooke are going to start Quarter Silver Flames too because y'all ate my ass last episode when I talked about how I haven't read Silver Flames. Yeah, sorry, Nesta's a cunt. Nesta is a fucking bitch. She ruined the Christmas special. <laughs> Nesta is a cunt. But I'm gonna start it for the sake of Cassian because once again, I want Cassian to lay pipe. I want to watch how this fairy fucks. <laughs> I have got to see more of that fairy dick. Fake hawk, fake hawk. I have got to figure that out, okay? So I'm gonna start Silver Flames. I'm gonna get back into that world. Uh, and I don't know if Silver Flames resumes after the Christmas special or after Court of uh, Wings and Ruin. We'll see. I'm, I'm gonna jump into it, okay? I'm gonna give it a chance. I wanna go through my Goodreads because these are some recommendations for anyone that's going through what I'm going through. If, if you've just finished Akatar or if you've just finished Fourth Wing, uh, whatever it may be, these are some wrecks that I've seen that uh, are in the same vein that are either fantasy or dragons or uh, enemies to lovers. The first one is Powerless by Lauren Roberts. That one has been recommended to me a lot. Next is The Black Witch by Laurie Forrest. That one has been recommended a lot as well. Red Rising by Pierce Brown. This one, I saw a girl give a review on it and Red Rising is like, I don't, this may be wrong, but it's more like Dune. Like it's kind of a dystopian fantasy. It's not so much like fantasy dragon fairies with their penises. It's like, uh, let's Google it actually. 94% liked this book. That's crazy. Goodreads has a 4.3. Barnes and Noble has a 4.4 out of five. Like it's really, really well rated. Red Rising is a 2014 dystopian science fiction novel by American author Pierce Brown. 
and the first book and eponym of a series. Does eponym mean it's named after that? That's what that sounded like. The novel, set in the future on Mars, T, follows lowborn miner Darrow as he infiltrates the ranks of the elite golds. Red Rising has received generally positive reviews. Yeah, I'm excited to read it because uh, I think it's a romance later on. Yeah. Oh, what? Darrow, what the fuck? At this. Di- oh, bro, what the fuck? No! At the start of Red Rising, Darrow and Eo are both 16, married, and presumably share an adult sex life. After Eo's. What the fuck? Okay, I don't want to ruin anything. I don't want to read about 16-year-olds fucking... Ah! No, no! But Red Rising has really been recommended, so I'm I'm going to do it because I, I honestly think I need a break from fantasy. I'm, I'm too obsessed. Let's take a step back. I tried to start Metamorphosis by Kafka. Couldn't get into it. I read the first page and I was like, where are the dragons, bro? I don't give a single fuck. I don't care. Don't care. I can't keep living like this, dude. Like, Fourth Wing ruined my life. I'm obs- I think about it all the time, every day. I need Zayden. I am Violet Sorengale. I've got to- The dragon has to pick me when it's fucking- Oh my god. And then the dragon's gonna talk to me in my brain. <laughs> How am I supposed to move on? I've been trying to finish The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath for fucking years. It's been on my nightstand. I cannot finish it because I would rather read about dragons than a depressed girl in the 50s. I know it's important, but I just can't finish it. I will one day. Oh, God. Okay. Powerless, Black Witch, Red Rising. And then Serpent and the Wings of Night by Carissa Broadman. That one has really been recommended uh, for fantasy. And here's my thing. Starting with Akatar. I feel like that's the best of the best. It's like everything's going to be a poor comparison to that book. And I'm worried to start some of these books of like, it's not going to be risque enough. The plot's not going to be good enough. You know, a lot of these have like four out of five stars on, uh, on Goodreads, but it's not actually, I wonder what Akatar has on Goodreads. Let's see. Court of... Thorns and Roses has 4.2. Interesting. 4.2. And Fourth Wing has 4.6, bro. <laughs> Which is crazy because Akatar, well, I, the first book fucking sucks. Let's look up what Mist and Fury has because Mist and Fury is the, oh yeah. <laughs> Stupid. Mist and Fury. 4.65. Damn, I rated it four stars for some reason. Am I just a fucking idiot? Yeah, yeah, Miss and Fury is, she's that girl. She really is that girl. I'm a Sarah J. Moss girl. And I'm about to be, uh, I think, maybe a Red Rising girl because Red Rising, I- I'm excited about Red Rising. I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble tomorrow and uh, buy all four of these. Also, One Dark Window by Rachel Gilling has been recommended. So I'm going to go buy all four of those, maybe the Rachel Gilling book and start silver flames court of silver flames and then yeah I'll, I'll keep you guys updated because i have got to have romance i don't like if there's no romance in it i'm bored i'm bored <laughs> like you have got to give me a reason to care do they make it are they gonna fuck if they don't i don't care okay here are my three songs of the week Number one is Rain by the Teskey Brothers. I love the Teskey Brothers. I've talked about them before, I'm pretty sure. And I saw them at ACL with Bestie. And wow, just wow. Just holy shit. I think they're Australian. Yep, Sam and Josh Teskey, two brothers from Australia. Guess what? They're both hot. Who have enchanted the hearts of many around the world with their soulful take on blues, folk, and rock. And that's exactly why I like it. It's it's a great sort of, uh, when I've Chris Stapletoned myself out, like when I'm just like, God, I've been listening to Chris Stapleton for 72 hours straight. I've got switched up. I'll do Teskey Brothers. And they've got a song called Rain that I've just been obsessed with. Uh, so Caught Up is one of my favorites and Pain and Misery. Pain and Misery is one of the most impressive vocal displays 
on a song I've heard in a long time. I mean, just that shit cannot be taught. And I always find it interesting when people who weren't raised in the church, I mean, the church has so much to do with that, that spiritual feeling of you let the music just, it's in your bones. I don't know how to describe it without it sounding cheesy and corny, but when it's in your fucking bones, it's in the very essence of you. It, it seeps out of you, out of your pores. And like, you have no choice but to, but to give into it. That is, Chesky Brothers, that's how I feel about it. I mean, it's, it's so, it cannot be taught. You can study music in an academic environment for 40 years and you wouldn't understand the soul that the Chesky Brothers sing with. And uh, so much of that is taken from, I mean, the rock and roll was created by, by black people. You know, so much of that is, is from that inspiration that whole era in the forties and fifties and, and Robert Johnson and, and all the, you know, the legends and the beginnings of rock and roll music. And that blended with gospel and, uh, black gospel music. And then also Southern white gospel music. Uh, and there's a, a beautiful blend and, and mesh there. I think it's just so intrinsic and you get it or you don't sort of thing. And, and, I, they get it and, and I'm getting it as they're singing it. So I'm so, so, so obsessed with the Teskey brothers. Uh, they invited me to a show like a couple months ago and the timing didn't work out. And I was so sad because they were like, you want to come backstage? And I was like, I want to meet the Teskey brothers. I love the Teskey brothers. I love them. They're a big inspiration for me. So they're, they're go listen to pain and misery and rain by them. My next song is The Price by The Steel Drivers. Now, I've talked about The Steel Drivers before. Uh, they are, that is Chris Stapleton's bluegrass band that he used to be in. They're still together, I think, today. And uh, it's just, you know, he does his own solo thing, but they still sing together. This album came out in 2010. It's called Reckless. And, uh, oh, there's some fucking bangers on here. Where Rainbows Never Die, The Price, Can You Run, Midnight on the Mountain, Ghosts of Mississippi, Angel of the Night. All these are so, 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 so good. And um, the price is about the wealth gap. It's about the rich 1% and the elite and like eat the rich sort of thing. Rich man rolls the dice, poor man pays the price. Love that. Damn. And his vocals on here are, that shit should be illegal, dude. It should be outlawed. I mean, he's almost like losing it. I love that that vocal range where it's so gritty. It's like he's almost lost control of it. Like it's kind of out of out of tune or off pitch in the best way. Like almost. It's still, of course, because it's professionally produced. It's fantastic. But it's like you can hear that grit. Damn. So good. The Price is one of my, my favorite Steel Driver songs. I also love uh, If It Hadn't Been For Love. Never want to run tight to Birmingham if it hadn't been for love. Blue Side of the Mountain, Heaven Sent. I know what days are Heaven Sent. Lord knows I know now where it been. The Bartender. Bartender. Oh my God. I love the Steel Drivers. Okay, love that song. And then last one is, I mean, again, this I've just been on a kick lately, I guess. It's uh, Dust Bowl Dance by Mumford & Sons. And I was on my Mumford & Sons grind right after ACL in October. Like it was very, I was listening to Babel. I was listening to Lover of the Light, Whispers in the Dark, even like uh, Delta and some of Marcus Mumford's solo stuff, which is so sad, but so good. Very much I'm on that, that train again. Dust Bowl Dance is fantastic. Awake My Soul, White Blank Page. Yeah, this album's from 2009. And it still stands. You bitches. I'm a Mumford girl. Okay. Oh, I wanted to go through the rest of my Goodreads. Sorry, I got distracted with the music stuff. The rest of my Goodreads, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of my, I don't know what TBR means. To be read. I think that's what that stands for. I'm going to read off some of these and I want y'all to give me your opinions because like I said, I'm going to go and, and buy those that I talked about. Okay. Fear the flames. This has been recommended to me, but also it has not been. So I don't fucking know. Oh my God. I want to talk to you guys about this. So as you know, I take Spanish lessons from Maddie's Mundo. 
And it's cool to see, like, I mean, we, we, I've been taking lessons from her for maybe like a month and a half now, maybe two months. And I've improved so much in, in just the, the short amount of time that we've been taking lessons. She's good about, you know, yeah, we'll review grammar and syntax and all that. But we go over cultural stuff, too, because she's much more well-traveled than I am. And uh, I've, I've been to places, but I've never been to South America. You know, like, I, I would love to go. I've just never, life has never led me there. I've barely even been to Mexico. Shockingly enough, I've only been to Puerto Vallarta um, with the gay people. So I, she teaches me a lot about, you know, cause she used to live in Spain and Chile and she's been to Argentina and then all these, Cuba. She's been so many places for, and she's got friends there. So she knows a lot about the culture and, and uh, is very respectful of it. And, and, you know, teaches me from a place of, of history and, she watched this movie recently that she recommended to me and it was called uh, Motorcycle Diaries. And it's got Gael Garcia Bernal in it who is hot, okay? Now, is he 5'6"? Yeah. Okay. And is a man under 5'6 really a man? No. No, he's not. Okay. At least, you got to be at least my height. To be considered a man, brother, I'm more manly than you. Okay, my PCOS, I'm growing neck hair. I'm growing beard hair. Okay? I've got leg hair that could, I mean, you touch ah, it'll cut you. Okay. If you're 5'6", I can tell you right now, I'm the man in the relationship. And that's not going to go over well. Okay? <laughs> if I'm the man in the relationship, I'm going to start, oh, oh, I would love to be a man for a day, bitch. Have you seen those videos of people like asking their incompetent, fucking stupid, idiot husbands to do shit? Hey, babe, can you clean up this mess? And it's like ketchup on the counter. Now, have y'all seen that fucking video of the dude doing that? He's like, I don't know how to. And he takes a paper towel and he just starts smearing it around. I have never felt more pure rage. Just white hot rage. Because men do that shit on purpose. You know what I mean? They do that shit on purpose so you'll do it for them. I've talked about this before. The weaponized incompetence. I know they do it on purpose. No one's that fucking dumb. Is this how you do it? I'm going to literally knife you in your sleep. Shink, 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 shink. I'm going to gypsy rose you, bitch. I don't care. Clean the fucking ketchup. I want to be a man for a day. I'll, I'll just have a mattress on the floor. I'll have one chair, one fork, one spoon, one bowl, one knife. And I'm playing my video game all day. And guess what? Women would still want to fuck me. I'd be like, this is a crib. Uh, make some hum. She'd be like, can I use the bathroom? Yeah, go for it. No soap, no hot water, no towel. Okay. You ever been to a man's house and that's the bathroom? Oh God. Oh, what am I doing? You, you look at yourself in the mirror like that. Like, what the fuck am I doing? I've got to get out of here. I've literally done that before. In college, right after college, when I graduated, I was like living in Dallas and I went on this date. And I went to a guy's house and he, I was like, can I go to the bathroom? Where's your bathroom? He was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, thanks. He was making me a drink in the living room and I went in the bathroom. He had one of those like <laughs> college dorm shower curtains that was too short for the shower. Uh, no liner. So it's like molded. Moldy toilet, beard hairs all over the sink, sp toothpaste splash on the mirror, no soap, uh, pubes on the sink as well, and no towel. And no hot water. And I go, I gotta get the fuck out of here. So I literally like, pee I hover peed, ran my hands in the water and I go, I gotta go actually. And he was like, what the fuck, what do you mean? And I literally was like, it's nice to meet you, bye. And I walked out. And he like walked out and followed me to my car. And he was like, did I do so? I was like, no, I just forgot I had to be somewhere. It was really nice to meet you. Because at a certain point, what the fuck are you? Have some self, stand up. Stand up, bitch. I had to, I looked at myself in the mirror and said, Stan, what are you doing? You just hover peed at a man's house because you didn't want to get his pubes on the back of your thighs. <laughs> oh, if I was a man and I didn't have to give a shit about, imagine how free, oh God, how free they must feel. Be like, yeah, I got this hot bitch in my place. Yeah, you can use the bathroom. When she's in the bathroom, like, wee, 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 wee. oh, God. She's having a full-blown identity crisis in the bathroom because she's at your place because she agreed to come over. That was literally me. That's happened to me twice. Where I was like, oh, God. 
And I always fall for it too, because at, at least after college, like at, at that point in my life, I was like, I'm just looking for conversation that isn't going to make me want to die. And so any witty man who could hold a semblance of a conversation with me, I was like, he's the one. And so he'd be like, you can come back to my, yeah, let's go back to your place. Oh, there's roaches on the floor. I have to go. I have to go. Oh my God. The clock struck midnight. I have to go. Midnight? The clock struck midnight. <laughs> I have to go. The clock struck midnight. So that's happened to me a few times and I, it will never happen to me again. Also, now that I have, I like have my own house. It's decorated how I want. It's my Texan oasis out here in California. Like I have spent a lot of time and money curating my space. I've had a, oh my God, me and Sarabasco. <laughs> me and Sarabasco went out one time. This night was so stupid. I can't believe I'm about to talk about this. Me and Sarabasco went out. My friend, my friend's uh, show, okay? He's a singer and he's British. And we went out to the show and she came with me. I was like, will you please come? She was like, yeah, for sure. We go and he puts us in this like VIP section and it's so fun and it's so like, ooh, we're getting drinks. We are drunk, drunk. And we just keep drinking. One of those nights where I'm like, I'm fucked up. Are you fucked up? Yeah. Okay, let's take a shot. That sort of thing. It was like, why would I ever do that? We are at the like after, it wasn't an after party. We go to a bar after the show. We meet up with my friend and all of his friends and uh, all of his friends are so British, like so Cockney British. And they're, they can drink, bitch. You ever met a British person? They'll drink you under the table. And so I'm going drink for drink with him and I'm just losing my mind. And we were, <laughs> we were like, you ever had a green tea shot? Because the drunker I get, the more my accent comes out apparently. But also that was in between me mocking him. Of course I have to mock British people when I'm around them. <laughs> so no, I'm talking like this. I'm not even a fucking green t-shirt, darling. Darling, hello mate. We're three more. We're three more green t-shirts, thank you. So I'm yelling at the bartender. I'm yelling at him. I'm yelling at this guy. I'm like, oh you fucking more. Ole, 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 ole. Stupid. I'm, ta I'm talking to him. I'm flirting with him all night. This dude. Okay. I don't even remember his fucking name. I wish I did. I'm flirting with him all night. We're at the bar. He's like touching my knee. He's like, he's, he's into it. He wa he wants a piece of the broski. <laughs> he wanted a piece of the boski. Okay. He wanted a bite of boski. And guess what? The diner was open that night. And so I'm, I'm sitting there. Sarah's uh, uh, talking to someone else, one of his other friends, I think, or, or just another guy at the bar. I'm flirting with this guy and we're talking back and forth and he's asking me about Texas. I'm telling him about whatever and I'm, I'm doing the accent back to him and he's like, you're really good at that for no reason. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking know, you know what I mean? And we're back and forth. I'm ordering like 17 green tea shots. We're taking them, I, I, whatever, he's taking them. Those shits are so sugary, okay? <laughs> My gut starts to curdle. Okay. Also, <laughs> this night that is when we stood in a section with Justin Bieber. I don't know if I told <laughs> told y'all about that. <laughs> stood in a section with Justin Bieber. Couldn't tell you. Okay. We leave this bar uh, after Sarah and I see Dalton Gomez walk into this bar. Ariana Grande's ex-husband. The fuck? What? <laughs> and me and Sarah were like, <laughs> why is Dalton Gomez here? Anyway, uh, we leave. And... We're in the Uber and we're playing music. And then after a while, I'm like, let's put on fucking Stormzy or Central C or Artie or something. Like we're playing gross British, like, dr uh, what's that called? What's British drill called? Grime. No, not grime. Maybe it's grime. It's like British drill. Anyway, <laughs> we're playing that in the car. The body body shape like cola. And so we get to my house for some reason. We all come back to my house and all these fucking British men are in my house. They raid my fridge. They start drinking my liquor on my little bar cart. And they're like pissing with the door open and the seat up and the, what, like there's piss on the floor. And I was like, what the fuck? And at a certain point I, <laughs> I go to the, I disappear. I go to the bathroom because I was having diarrhea. Hey, green tea shots. 
And I come out and the fridge door is open. They're blasting some other like gross British music, like bad British trap on my Google. And I look at Sarah and I go, get them out of here. We got to get them out. And so I turn to me, I go, party's over. Get the fuck out. I literally felt like frat guy. I was like, get, everyone get the fuck out of my house. And they're like, oh yeah, you fucking They get in the Uber, they leave. Me and Sarah have an hour and a half long debrief. Like, what the fuck was that? What? He was like, yeah, he was flirting with you too. Yeah, he was flirting with me too. Okay, why? But he touched my knee. I don't know. Like that sort of girly debrief. We're also still very drunk. And like, I had just got these antique furniture pieces. Like my house looked so cute. They left my, oh my God, they shattered a glass in my kitchen. I was just like, this is what happens when you let men into your space. My space is feminine and sacred, bitch. And they came in here and without a second thought disrespected it. Like, you've never met me before. I invited you to my house. This isn't like some fucking, you know, college frat house. This is like, you know, it's just disrespectful. So me and Sarah were like, what the fuck was that night? What happened? Like at a certain point, I was like, how did we even end up at my house? I was so drunk. And then the next morning I was so hungover. And I think I cried because I was like, this is what happens when I I open myself up to interactions with men. Because I come on this podcast, I'm in my daily life, and I talk a lot of shit on men. Because rightfully so. But in my real life, I try to stay open and curious to what an interaction with a straight man might bring me. Okay? I don't want to walk in with too much clouded uh, judgment or be kind of shut it down before it can even begin. Because you never know. It, it, you can sort through a sea of shit. And all it takes is one, right? That's what everyone says. It's just, you only need to find the one good one and he's yours like that. And he'll find you that. Okay. So I tried to go into my life with an open mind. I was, I had an open mind this night. I, at a certain point, should have shut my mind, should have closed my mind and fucking gotten the Uber and went home with just me and Sarah. We should have had like a, a gross Taco Bell night. I let those fucking men into my space. And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm never doing that shit again, dude. It was just awful. Like, I don't, I don't, I didn't realize how sacred my space was to me. Like, and I still think about it today. We're like, oh my God, I let them in my house. I would never do that again. Never. So. Yeah, that's my story of uh, when I, when I went out with a bunch of British men. And there's not to say, and like, Look, I would love to date a British man if he was like, I don't know, had a brain and was smart and respectful and like funny, you know, and wasn't like, he totally, oh, shut up. So anyway, why did I even tell that story? This episode is sponsored by ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life you have to compromise on, like maybe an apartment that's in your budget, but with an upstairs neighbor who loves to tap dance. But when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who doesn't care if you live or die. Instead, you should check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. You can search them by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises have to be made here with ZocDoc because you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doctor you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. I'm talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top rated patient reviewed credible doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, who are by you, or treat basically any condition you might be looking for. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same day appointments. I used ZocDoc to find my dermatologist and he's fantastic. Cause trust me, I need a dermatologist. Go to ZocDoc.com slash broski and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash broski. ZocDoc.com slash broski. Oh my God, I was gonna talk about the motorcycle diaries. <laughs> Back to my Spanish class. So Maddie was like, you should watch this movie. 
and it's called Diarios de Motocicleta. And I was like, okay. And it's got, oh, we're talking about Gael Garcia Bernal. Okay. This movie has him and one of the actors from La Casa de Papel, uh, from Money Heist on Netflix in it. He's he's the gay one. He's the gay one that's in love with, what's his name? What's the brother's name? La Casa de Papel brother. Berlin, Berlin. Andres. Andres de Fonoyosa. He's the half-brother to Sergio Marquina, the mastermind better known to Money Heist viewers as El Profesor. Uh, yeah, Berlin. He's like in love with Berlin. And uh, it's the same actor, and he's so cute in this movie, first of all. And it's a story about how a man named Alberto and a man named Ernesto go on a motorcycle trip um, around South America. You come to find out that this man, Ernesto, is Che Guevara. And I am woman enough to admit I did not know a lot about Che Guevara. I know him as this sort of socialist symbol and icon, a communist icon, um, in the ways that aren't fear-inducing, fear-mongering, you know, whatever. Like, like he really represents certain ideals to a, a movement that uh, historically has been demonized. That's kind of the extent I knew about him. I've seen that picture of him in the, the beret and then, you know, like with the, the revolution fist and all that. But I didn't really know that much else other than the fact that my education as an American uh, really demonizes those sort of figures in history. And I didn't really know why. And I never really, you know, took the time to figure out why. This movie doesn't really, this is like really young Che Guevara. And Che, I didn't know, uh, is a nickname because people in Argentina, Che is like their kind of filler word. In Mexico, a lot of the time it's pues, like que hubo pues. Um, pues is kind of a, a filler word. In, in uh, Chile, I think, Maddie told me it's po. Like, oh, si, po. Like, po is, you just put it on the end of a word. I think uh, Che is in Argentina. It's it's that. So they called him Che because as he was traveling through South America and through, you know, uh, Central America, his Argentinian accent was so thick, they started calling him Che. This is before we knew him as Che Guevara. This is as, as Ernesto, uh, I forget his last name. And he's a young man. He is a medical student and he travels throughout South America and is shocked at... You know, the original idea for the trip is we're just going to see all the beauty that that this continent has to offer and all the different cultures and food and whatever. And uh, it turns into this sort of narrative of the suffering of indigenous people across South America, the suffering of poor indigenous people who have been forgotten about, who have been kicked out of their homelands, who have been kicked around and and disrespected and killed off, quite frankly, targeted and killed because they were an inconvenience to the rich elite who were trying to you know cultivate the area. And this really moves him and it influences a lot of the work, the majority, all of the work that he does later in his life where he becomes this revolutionary icon. This really, you know, because when you think about it, what can historically just throughout all of the world, indigenous people, uh, have really been fucked, fucked over. And what can you do? You can't mobilize, they'll kill you off. You can't vote, they'll take away your voting rights. You can't, you know, and it's like, and Alberto in the movie says that. He's like, I'm gonna create like a, a union for indigenous people and, and poor people and and we're gonna vote. I'm gonna get everyone to vote. Huh. What are you gonna do? And Ernesto says, you're gonna start a revolution without guns? Good fucking luck. You know, because it's kind of true. It's like people don't, they will find a way to silence you. So this influences the rest of his life uh, in a major way. He abandons, you know, the idea of being a doctor and dedicates his life to uh, being a revolutionary, being uh, starting rebellions and, and you know, f the socialist communist movement in general. I kind of want to stop there because... A lot of my Goodreads actually is about Jacob. <laughs> I added his his journals to my to read list and a bunch of biographies on him. And because it's interesting too, I really didn't know that much about Che Guevara because I think some historians would refer to him as a failure 
as a failed revolutionary. He failed, he, he went to Congo and failed to incite, you know, enough revolutionary support there to really do anything. So he goes to Bolivia and, and then he goes to Cuba and in Cuba, he's made like the head of the finance. He permanently fucked Cuba's finances just by all means, kind of, it never really got the traction that, that he would have hoped for. And eventually he was assassinated, I think in Bolivia by, with the help of the CIA because he was considered dangerous. And I just want to learn all that I can about it. It's my new hyperfixation of, uh, you know, where did it all go wrong? And when did it take a turn for the worst? Because what a pure thing, you know, to, to with your privilege and with your uh, coming from an aristocratic background, you know, you're studying to be a doctor. You're from a well-off family in Argentina. What a different way of life than seeing the quality of life that he saw uh, you know, on his little joyride through South America. And there's a scene where their motorcycle breaks down and they're walking up this side of a mountain uh, to get to wherever they're going. And they're carrying all their stuff and it's so heavy. And they're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he like drops to the ground and he passes out and they're kind of like heaving breath, you know, whatever. And then this an indigenous man walks by them like no sweat. Cause he does it every day with like, equal amounts of shit on his back and just what and doesn't even look at him he's like fucking whatever just going up the mountain and it's so i don't the movie is really good i really enjoyed it it was a great wreck from maddie and it, it honestly like that's a part of history that i just the older i get i'm like god how the american education system failed me time time and time again i'm, I'm knocking shit over i'm so mad just failed me and now it's it's on me to you know, to educate myself on things that like I should have known about. And it makes me feel stupid, honestly, like that. I didn't know this shit. I don't know this history. I don't know shit about Fidel Castro and all these major prominent or Pinochet and, and this, you know, because it's this American individualism that I always come back to that I really fucking resent. I resent what was sold to me as a child of back-to-back war champions and a global power and you wouldn't want to ever live anywhere else. You know, you should be thankful that you... I am thankful I was born in America, but holy fuck, that doesn't mean I shouldn't learn about other places, you know, or how we fucked up other places. Cuba did not have the, the structure or the integrity of its system to support a communist, you know, takeover. And I... I want to read all about it and I want to know everything and I just am it just pisses me off the more that I do learn about it because I'm like I have never heard this like I've never heard about this it just makes me mad and it makes me feel dumb I, I hate feeling dumb dude hate it so that's on my I've got a bunch of stuff on my goodreads about Che Guevara for no reason just like because I'm, I'm curious and the movie is actually based on the diaries and journals that he kept while they were uh driving through South America so I'm going to read those and um, yeah, that's, that's kind of been my, my fixation of the week. Okay. Here are some other ones I've added to my want to read list. There are some classics on here and okay. So there's, my dad made me watch this movie and honestly, it was a great movie, uh, but it's a classic novel that I've, I'd always heard of, but I was like, that sounds boring as fuck, dude. The movie was fantastic, and I'm so excited to read the book. Count of Monte Cristo. Count of Monte Cristo. I've always heard of the Count of Monte Cristo, and I always thought it was one of those, like, tale of two cities, fucking, like, boring English literature major books, like Beowulf or any of those, where you have to study it for the good of the, the, the academicism of it all, but not for, like, it's a great book. Count of Monte Cristo was a fantastic movie, and the lead guy, hot. Uh, and so I want to read it and it's got a 4.3 on Goodreads and it's a classic, like it's an instant classic. Another one is East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Uh, and John Steinbeck wrote of Mice and Men, uh, wrote, yes, of Mice and Men published in 1937. That's crazy. George Milton and Lenny Small. Yeah. That movie or that book fucked me up as a teenager, dude. Like, like really, really disturbed me. Honestly, in retrospect, a great book though. Like a crazy, sad, what the fuck type of book. I kind of want to reread it. And it's short too. A lot of these, thank God, a lot of these older, (laughs) 
books are shorter because I'm used to reading Kingdom of Ash, which is 900 pages, or Court of Mist and Fury, which is like 600 pages, or even Iron Flame was so long. And it's great, you know, it's entertaining, it's compelling, but there's something special about a really great story told in 150 pages. So East of Eden is on there. I really don't know that much about East of Eden. In his journal, Nobel Prize winner John Steinbeck called East of Eden the first book. And indeed, it has the primordial power and simplicity of myth. Set in the rich farmland of California's Salinas Valley, this sprawling and often brutal novel follows the intertwined destinies of two families, the Trasks and the Hamiltons, whose generations helplessly reenact the fall of Adam and Eve. What the fuck? And the poisonous rivalry of Cain and Abel. Adam Trask came to California from the east to farm and raise his family on the new rich land. But the birth of his twins, Cal and Aaron, brings his wife to the brink of madness, and Adam is left alone to raise his boys to manhood. One boy thrives, nurtured by the love of all those around him. The other grows up in loneliness, enveloped by a mysterious darkness. First published in 1952, East of Eden is the work in which Steinbeck created his most mesmerizing characters and explored his most enduring themes, the mystery of identity, the inexplicality of love, and the murderous consequences of love's absence. Whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa! A masterpiece of Steinbeck's later years, East of Eden is a powerful and vastly ambitious novel that is at once a family saga and a modern retelling of the book of Genesis. Oh my god, I cannot wait to read that. Another one is, ooh, The Jakarta Method. Washington's anti-communist crusade and the mass murder program that shaped our world by Vincent Bevins. Are you kidding? I want to read all these. There's just not enough hours in the day. Oh, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race um, by Renee Edo Lodge. That's been on my list for a while. Ain't I a Woman? Black Women and Feminism by Bell Hooks. Revolution at Point Zero, Housework, Reproduction, and Feminist Struggle by Sylvia Federici. All these are on my list. Ooh, this one, this one, dude! America's Deadliest Export, Democracy. The Truth About U.S. Foreign Policy and Everything Else by William Blum. Because in this vein of, you know, like, I'm so tired of feeling like, I mean, I don't defend America. I never really do. But I recognize the inherent privilege in being born in America and being an American citizen, but also what I lack as an American citizen, which is, like, worldly awareness fucking healthcare, you know, like love and respect for my fellow man. So many things that are deeply ingrained in American culture that like I have to actively unlearn because it was taught to me and not, I'm not even going to mention religion as it relates to that, but like getting out of that mindset, I don't want to be just another stupid American. In that note, another one is Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen by Jose Antonio Vargas. And this one was recommended a lot on Goodreads, actually. I saw it as, as recommendations for uh, some of the other types of books. I've got a bunch of Maya Angelou on here. It's just stuff, you know, that it's like, yeah, girl, you should have read that. And I just haven't. A lot of these I read in school. Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, 1984 by George Orwell. I want to read them. Oh, Butcher's Crossing by John Williams is one I want to read too. It's like a, it's like a crazy, creepy thriller. Anyway, yeah, a lot of them are, I remember studying them in school, but I want to read them as a pleasure read to see how I think about it as an adult, especially something like Animal Farm, because Animal Farm is about communism, isn't it? Animal Farm is a beast fable in the form of a satirical, allegorical no- novella published in 1945. It tells the story of a group of anthropomorphic farm animals who rebel against their human farmer, hoping to create a society where the animals can be equal, free, and happy. Guess what? They're not. Oh my God, I want to do Animal Farm again. I think I actually have it. Anyway, guys, that is my, this was just a big like book review, book review, book club. Thank you for coming to Broski Nation Book Club. Uh, If y'all are readers, Drop your thoughts in the comments on the YouTube video because I would love some thoughts on, first of all, the fantasy romance novels that I I mentioned, if they're worth my time before I go and spend. Books are like $17.99 for that shit. So if I spend $17.99 on a book and it's ass, I'm livid. 
I'm going to be fucking mad. I honestly need to get a library card. But there's a there's a magic in owning the books and keeping them on my shelf. Like, I love that. I love c- collecting books. Yeah. So, yeah, d- let me know your thoughts. And on some of the classics I mentioned, let me know kind of what order I should maybe read them in because it's not like they're related. But, you know, if I'm reading uh, America's Deadliest Export Democracy, maybe I should read that with, like, uh, uh, Animal Farm or something like that. All right. Thanks, team. Loving you. And get your merch. It's out, remember. And uh, we'll see you next time. Godspeed. God bless. <laughs>